Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, and this is Life, Death, and the Law. It is August 1st, Monday, the day before elections, and uh, I want to encourage everybody, first and foremost, if you have not already mailed in your early ballot, please go down and vote. Um, there's a lot of ways that we've talked about to find out about the candidates. Hopefully you've been somewhat educated up to this point about who is running and what their positions are, whether they line up with your standards, both morally and ethically and, and politically, and get out there, vote for the person that represents your interests. Because if you don't vote, you're not represented. Um, we've got some great places that you can go to find out voter information. What one that you like, Cody? Is well, I I mean to to go vote tomorrow or or just in general, just to find out general voter information about the candidates. So for me, there, there's the websites like uh, the Federal Election Commission that that discloses you know who is contributing money and how much money they're they're making and and where that money is going and when they're spending it. Um, which after the election is going to give us a whole nother, I guess, round of data. You know, it's going to it's going to give us, you know, the you know who who donated what and how much they're making, which is important because um, we've seen in the past um, where there are strategies where one party can actually contribute to the campaign of the opposite party's candidate because they believe that candidate will be easier to beat in the general election. And so, you know, we're in the primaries right now. And so we are voting for people that are going to eventually represent the Republican Party or the Democratic Party for the general elections. And go ahead. No, no, that's a great point because, I mean, if you think about it, if I can contribute towards my, my somebody that's, taking on my next challenger and they can muddy up the waters on them. I mean, the, the primary is happening tomorrow. So the general is only a couple months away. Are you really going to remember or forget all the bad things that they said about that candidate, you know, just a month or two ago? Well, not only that, but if you're supporting a candidate, um, from the opposing party, because you think that candidate is weak, you think that candidates can't, uh, take a punch in a general election and so what you want to do is you take, let's say you're a Democrat and you want a weak Republican opponent, you're going to put some money into funding his campaign. So he could probably win the primary election, become your opponent in the general election, and then be an easier opponent to defeat because he de- he doesn't have as strong of views or he's just not as good on his feet for debates. And therefore, that's, that's the opponent you want to go up against. So you're basically lobbying for the easier um, opponent to win against. So one site that I found helpful is Arizona Voter Guide, azvoterguide.com. So if you type that into your uh, search menu on or the search bar on your computer or you just tell Siri to bring it up, then you can do a couple of things. You can personalize who are the candidates in your district by putting in your name, your email, your street address, and then it'll show who are the candidates along the board. And so um, 
I'm going to do it here in real time here. I've already actually done it. I've already went through this and, and looked through the ballot. In fact, I've already voted. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it bears repeating because it, it's really helpful information. And I was able to go down and just see generally what the political stands of each candidate was and uh, decide on that. Now, I did a little bit more searching. I asked around. I asked people that knew individuals personally and uh, also read articles on, on some achievements that they've done and dug a little bit deeper about accusations that their political opponent, opponents are making about them. But for the general population, for the, the workers out there, the doers and, and the people that drive this engine of the American economy, you don't have time to research this day and night. And so you need a, a source that you can go to that's been compiled that's hopefully as unbiased as possible that will allow you to understand where these candidates stand on certain political issues. And AZ Voter Guide, I don't see a big spin on that. I see it's pretty straightforward. It's not not in-depth. But it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know, and thank you. That was what I was trying to think of was what was that website we used before? Because the AZ Voter Guide is also, um, I, I believe, part of the state. They're the ones that send out that uh, newspaper-like pamphlet that every yes. voter gets. So it's basically like a the website version of that. And and what's nice about the website is, like I say, you can you can put in your name and address, and you can you can scroll back and forth, and you can compare candidates, and you can go to their websites, and you can determine for yourself what you believe is going to be someone who, who's going to represent your interest. The thing is, here, here's something that I've run up against a lot over the time, but more specifically in the recent weeks, and that is, what is truth? I, I came up against three issues in the matter of maybe two days that were completely opposing um, viewpoints about what the issues were. Okay, so let me just explain. One was the global warming issue, okay? okay. And uh, I found this fantastic video on TED Talks, right? You, I, I get on YouTube and I go to TED Talks and, and I listen to these TED Talks and there was this uh, YouTube video about how falling behind can actually help you get ahead. And what it talks about is it debunks this well-renowned theory that it takes 10,000 hours of practice, of real uh, intentional practice on a specific career or area to become an expert. And it's a 10,000-hour rule. I know all of it. This is uh, Gladwell, right? Yes. and. Yeah. Mastery is is a book that is is published that actually explains this concept in a lot of detail, and it's it's a fantastic book. I read this book back in 2012, and uh, a lot of people rely on this concept that in order to be a master of anything, you're not born into this genius that a lot of individuals from the outside kind of perceive. They say, "Well, you're you're just very smart, or you're just very talented in that area." No you've worked very hard, you've dedicated a lot of time and energy, and maybe you're passionate about it as well, but um, it, it takes a lot of effort to become good at a, at a particular skill, whether it's playing the piano or tennis or um, becoming a doctor and a, providing surgeries or medical advice. So there is a lot of truth to that. However, this TED Talk, How Falling Behind Can Help You Get Ahead, um, 
it, it turned that a little bit on its head, or at least on its side. And what its premise is that the more you sample in different fields, the better and more well-rounded you are and the better able you are to pick not only the field that you are naturally inclined to be, to be successful and efficient at, but also something that sparks your interest, that, that you really enjoy doing. Now, I don't fully follow that concept that you have to find your passion in life, right, in order to be successful, that you've got these kids out there that are career-long students or they're just kind of vagabonds out there wandering around and, and you know, they're part-time musicians and full-time moochers. <laughs> they transients. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, couch surfers off of, uh, other people's you know couches because they're they're just not willing to put in the time and, and effort that it requires to contribute to society and therefore they're not earning a, co- a consistent paycheck. Um, one of the statements that I like a lot is what is necessary to become good at what you do to become a really good athlete or professional is to understand you have to work through the boredom sometimes because repetition does provide that necessary element of becoming very good and efficient and and, and minimizing the waste. And so you got to repeat something over and over again. And uh, But this other, this other concept on this TED Talk is explaining that people like Roger Federer, who we know is one of the greatest tennis players of all time, he actually dabbled in wrestling and ping pong and baseball and a lot of other things. In fact, he was a good tennis player, but when the coach wanted to move him up to the next age group, he declined because um, he wanted to talk more about pro wrestling with his, with his friends after tennis practice than go up and, and compete with these, this tougher class of competitors. Okay. His mom was a tennis coach. She declined to coach him because he had such an awkward style and, and, and it wasn't a conformist type style in, in for returning balls. And, uh, you know, he went on to be a great success. Now, most of us focus on the Tiger Woods out there, right, who picked up the, the golf club at the first time at, at seven months. Right. And, and can be seen on national television at two years old swinging a club. I mean, that, that is not typical, but we like to think so because it fits our narrative, because we like to couch these concepts of success and um, excellence into this nicely defined set of standards of you do this, or you're very good or inclined at this, or you have certain parentage, and you'll be successful. You don't do those things, and you're not going to be successful. And the reality is, it's complicated. Oh, yeah. Well, let me ask you, um, when you decided to get into estate planning, did your previous legal background help, you know, prepare you for uh, focusing on that area of law? So absolutely. And um, but it was it was unintentional the way that I received that background. When I went into law school, I researched significantly statistically who would make more money coming out of law school. And what I found was corporate lawyers that practice either in-house attorneys that practice for large corporations or lawyers that represented large corporations, those were the individuals that made the most money. 
Okay, so th- that's what I looked at. And I had a very narrow perspective on what success, uh, how it was defined. And so I looked at the schools that fed into that type of uh, corporate training and, and were the feeders for corporate law firms. And I narrowed the fields of the schools that I applied for to those individual schools. And then I, I studied for the LSAT with that in mind. The LSAT is the law school admission test. And uh, I went to the University of Kentucky, and it sits, now it's, it's in Kentucky, and so the, some people, the first thing that they're going to think is, oh, wow, you went to the backwoods, you know, why would you do that? No, actually, you go to Lexington, <laughs> and it's, it's surrounded by five other predominant schools. It's, it's surrounded by some major cities right there. You got Indianapolis within a couple of hours. You got Louisville within an hour. You got Cincinnati within an hour. And these are some major metropolitan areas with a lot of big business going on. And Lexington is actually, it of that entire area right there, that is one of the most prestigious schools, University of Kentucky. See, I just, I know them as the other Wildcats. Yeah, they are. They are the other Wildcats. Everybody knows, you know, UK is is always a blue chip team for basketball players. Um, they're in the SEC, so for football, they never get much recognition. But I I looked at Kentucky. I saw what the rate of for a matriculation from their graduates into um, business corporate law, and I thought that's where I want to go. So I did. I went to the University of Kentucky, and um, I took a little bit of estates and um, trusts. I didn't, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't really grasp it because I didn't enjoy it at all. I mean, at that time, did you have any concept like, this is what I want to do, or you're still focused on corporate attorney, get the Lamborghini and... Yeah, I was. I was okay. focused on, I want to I work with the biggest firm out there with the biggest signing bonus possible. Like an oil company or something. Yeah, and, yeah. A, and a lot of them, they weren't, private they weren't looking for private attorneys for from individuals right out of school what what they were doing is they were looking for interns basically that you would work with them as you're going through school and then um they would represent multiple corporations and as you got into the the firm and and went up through the the ranks of the um hierarchy in the firm, then certain clients would kind of identify you as somebody they wanted to work with. And then those corporations would pull you aside and say, hey, you do you want to represent us individually? And that was the ideal situation for a law student. It was to go through and, and be um, counsel for a private company, a large private successful company. I thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, my second year in law school, I worked for a large firm with 160 plus attorneys and it was on the 60th floor of this high rise in uh, Cincinnati and it was horrible I hated it 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 was everything that is what you see as um, just dirty and and undermining and backbiting in in the corporate life because everybody's vying for the same position everybody's trying to get the edge on the other person to climb, climb the corporate ladder. And I just didn't like that at all. So um, we visited Yuma, and it was during midnight at the Oasis, so it was during March. Okay. And uh, my wife said, why don't you apply for a few law firms here while we're out here? And, of course, the weather was gorgeous. Midnight at the Oasis is always a magical event. And uh, so I did. 
And all the firms here, they, they were nothing like the, the firms that I was interviewing for in Kentucky, but the opportunity to become my own boss was very much a reality, whereas that opportunity was kind of slipping away from me in, in Kentucky because you have to work right in and you have to play that game, and I just wasn't very good at it was what I was finding out. Not only, I hated it, and that's part, part of the reason I wasn't very good at it, but I just didn't have that killer instinct and um, I, I was having a hard time sleeping at night, and some people can just shut it off when they go home, and I couldn't. So when I came to Yuma, I found this, this great opportunity. And uh, initially, I, you know, when I graduated in 2008, uh, the, the stock or the whole market was, was imploding, right? The housing market yeah. was, was just absolutely the bubble had burst, and so I had to get into what was available. Uh, small firms here generally are general practice firms. So they'll do a little bit of evictions. They'll do a little bit of uh, contract suits. They'll do some wills and, and so on and so forth. And so I got into one of those firms and, and my area of practice started to um, focus on bankruptcy. And bankruptcy actually turned out to be a really fantastic foundation for what I do in estate planning because in bankruptcy what you do is you look at the individual's estate and there are categories there are exempt assets and there are non-exempt assets so you got to advise your client right off the bat these are the assets that are going to be subject to creditor collection and you're going to lose if you file bankruptcy these are the assets say your house and a car and um, some retirement accounts, your life insurance, that you're actually going to be able to save and preserve through bankruptcy. And, and at first, I also looked at bankruptcy as um, a cop-out, as not taking responsibility for your actions. And so I kind of thought of it as, you know, one of the uglier and um, shadier areas of the law. But in practicing bankruptcy, I found that it actually probably um, contributes to more success in um, the small business area of the economy than anything else. And the small, small businesses are the driving force behind the American economy. Right now, they contribute to 50% of America's GDP. But it could be a lot more, and it should be, if there was less red tape. Um, however, small businesses fail. Generally, one out of five fails, Right before you succeed. And you generally fail four to five times before you can succeed, if, even if you're following that model right there. So you have to try and try. And you put everything on the line when you try and you open a small business. You're, you're, you're levying all the credit that you have personally. You're levying any asset that you, can, that you have maybe built a little equity in, like your house or, or um, life insurance or other savings. And when it fails, it wipes that out. And so if it fails and it wipes it out to the extent that you're upside down, that you can never actually try again, then um, that is actually going to rob you of a lot of potential that you have later on in life. And it's going to rob the rest of us, the people that could benefit from that contribution that you would make as a small business person in the community. So allowing the bankruptcy to wipe the slate clean and allowing an individual to start over is actually a significantly helpful driving uh, tool 
for economic success overall. You know, how many times did uh, Edison invent a light bulb that didn't work before he actually got one that did? It was in like 10,000 or something like that. It was something crazy, right? as I thought. But I, I hear what you're saying on bankruptcy. I guess, you know, we, we kind of lose the warm and fuzzy on it when it's like a casino that gets bailed out. Yeah, you know, I, I get that, but yeah. that makes a, a lot of a lot of sense because you can't just keep somebody down. You got to give them the ability to get back up. Well, and and, and the thing about bankruptcy is you, you hear about the big headline stories where big companies that went bankrupt and and took a lot of their employees four hundred one ks or retirement plans and, and and wiped them out, and then they went bankrupt. And the CEOs, you know, they're going off in a golden parachute yeah. and living in these mansions where the rest of the employees lost all their retirement. That is not the norm. Um, those are the sensationalized stories. And, and they are real. They are out there, but they're not the norm. I would say they're like the one in a million. The norm is the mom and pop shops that open up. And you've got people that want, they have a passion for selling Mexican food or selling seafood or, or making widgets, whatever it is. Running a gym. Running a gym. And we want those people to do that because getting back to what I'm talking about with mastery here, you don't know what you're really going to be good at until you sample a lot of different areas. And then sometimes these, these terrific professionals that we, we look at and we revere as, as elite like the Roger Federer's, he went through a lot of sampling with different sports. And we need people to want to get involved in the economy and sample in business areas without the worry that if you do it wrong once, you're going to be buried in so much debt and your reputation will be ruined forever that you'll never get to try again. Um, I've often implemented a saying here at the firm that uh, the sooner you try and fail, the sooner you figure out how to do it right. And of course, my clients don't want me to try and fail with their um, estate plans. And, and that's why we have done what we do here thousands of times. And each time we learn a little bit, right? So I, for estate planning, something that is going to be a, a one and done type thing for an individual, at least with your estate plan, when you pass away, you don't get a a mulligan. You don't get to try again at it. Um, we need to get that right. And so I joined a firm where they'd Larry Deason had already been practicing and had drafted uh, nearly 10,000 estate plans. And prior to that, had been in-house counsel for some very large um, housing development companies and learned what works and then practice that on a larger and larger scale until we could implement that for everyday people and do it so efficiently that people could afford it. And uh, that is something that I found a passion for because it took what I learned in bankruptcy and that is analyzing assets and what could be protected and what typically is not gonna be protected and allowed me to understand how things work, what people value a lot in life, what people can get through and, and still turn their life around and come out on top and implement it into a systematic practice that works. We need to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. 
more thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm in studio here with Cody Beeson, and we're talking about uh, how to achieve success and what the traditional model is and how that sometimes is not consistent with everyday practice. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I think we started out with talking a little bit about elections, but this is such a, a more interesting topic because, again, I, I wondered where you're going with that because I know you have 10,000 hours in estate planning. So I, I was wondering, you know, what your thoughts were after hearing that TED Talk. Yeah, so the the general um, concept out there is that you, it requires 10,000 hours of practicing in a certain area, a certain field to master it. And um, although I do agree with that, there are other theories that say the more you sample along the way, the more you reach out and get a broader perspective of what else is out there, the better you're going to be when you do end up choosing your career path. And most people that are very successful actually have, have not achieved that level of success until their second or third attempt at and, and a total change in a different direction for career paths. And so um, this TED Talk, How Falling Behind Can Get You Ahead, is a wonderful example of it. I, I recommend that you go out there and listen to it, How Falling Behind Can Get You Ahead. It's by David Epstein, um, unfortunate last name. But um, I, I don't think there's any relation there. No. And uh, he, he, he really um, puts on a very good, compelling analysis about why it's good to take a look when you are trying to understand what's going to be your passion and what you actually can provide a living for your family with from a very broad perspective. And I went through the whole college experience. I went through junior college first. I went through then your traditional four-year college and um, got my bachelor's degree. In fact, I got a double major, and so I, I was kind of undecided. And the school kind of yanked me around a little bit, too, with that. They pulled away my um, major when I was two years in and then brought it back at the end. So I got a major in both political science and uh, criminal justice. But nonetheless, um, I was able to study a lot of things that or actually I, I, I was required to study a lot of things that I wouldn't have chosen to study on my free time, or if I just said, hey, this is where I'm heading in my career, I want to be a lawyer, this is what I want to do, I wouldn't be reading um, a lot of these philosophical books that were required reading for some of my political science classes. Right, but I'm sure those you know, opened your mind up to certain or different avenues. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I read Marx and Engel, and uh, I, so the Communist Manifesto that served as the foundation for communism that Lenin uh, implemented back in the early 1900s in Russia that led to the death of um, 60, between 60 million and 80 million individuals. And I, and I understand that that is pure evil. Yeah. 
And I wouldn't have read that manifesto had I not been required to do so to get that degree. So what am I trying to say here? Well, sometimes it's necessary to be pushed outside your comfort zone and to get a broader perspective on what's going on and what's available in the world before you can truly appreciate, even if you are sure about what you want to do and and how you can achieve that, um, that broader perspective can only help you. Now, there obviously is a trade-off. You know, you don't want to waste too much time and money in, in this education that's not going to give you a return on your investment, but there is a certain amount that is necessary. And so one analogy that's used in this TED Talk that I've been referring to, how falling behind can help you get ahead, is um, when you are an expert, you are like a frog in the mud. You are looking at things at a microscopic level, you're looking at it just very, very close with all the blinders on and and you're focused in, right? But when you're determining what that avenue is that you want to practice in and and where you want to uh, allocate all your talents and your efforts, you should do it from a bird's eye point of view. And so eventually, all of us should become frogs at some level become very, very closely intertwined with what we do, what our profession is, but we should begin as birds, in a sense, taking that overall perspective and and taking a look at it. And that's the problem that I see with when we're getting back here to politics and looking at politicians and the individuals that we want to vote in to represent us, is there are those career politicians, and that's kind of become a dirty word now, or a dirty phrase, is a career politician. And I think that's because uh, they've been stuck in the mud too long. I get that. You know, and I'm, I'm happy to see that there are some candidates running that are not career politicians. They're just people wanting to do the right thing. Right. You know, and, and we talked about it a little bit a while ago about, you know, attorney general. Yeah, let's talk about um, Andrew Gould. So he's running for attorney general. Um, I've... I'm an acquaintance of him. I don't know if you brought up my name in front of him, if you would recognize it. Maybe, maybe a light bulb would go off, hopefully, and I'd be, uh, I, I would be flattered if it did. But his name certainly resonates with me because he was a superior court judge for probably the first five to seven years of my career as an attorney here in Yuma. And I found him to be very fair, um, very intelligent, very sharp, he would cut to the chase. He would know when the attorney was um, putting up a smoke screen and trying to muddy the waters and when they were getting right to the point. And he was able to stop them mid-sentence and say, hey, hey, I understand you're, you're trying to go down this road, this path, but isn't this the issue? Let, let's, let's stay on point here. And he was really good about bringing them back to on point. Um, I was petrified um, at first as a young attorney going in front of him, but I learned to really enjoy him and he was he, he he i think understood that i was uh i had that deer in the headlights look when i first appeared before him and he looked at me and he said mr garner um you obviously understand what's going on in this case and what the issues are um i don't need to hear the full background of it because you did a good job in your brief and explaining it to me and in the motion that you um put out so uh here is the issue and, and so he was, he, he, he took a step back and basically mentored me a little bit from the bench to help me understand, okay, you're, you're among, not necessarily friends, 
but colleagues that understand what you're going through. Professionals. Professionals, and we're gonna and, and we know you've put in the time and effort, and we're we're going to help you along. And as a very young attorney, that that was greatly appreciated by me. And the counsel on the other side saw him do that and actually took, uh, I think, a friendlier approach to how we disputed our differences because he saw that this judge wants to get to the real facts and he's not as interested in our narrative and how we want to paint the facts. He's interested on... These are the issues. I'm going to give each of you the opportunity to explain it, but I'm going to make clear that we're not going to vary from the path here. And so now he's, return, he's, he's running for attorney general, and he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He cuts right down to it, and that's why I voted for him in particular. Um, he's got this no trespassing sign on um, the campaign uh boards that he put out he's putting out on the corner and they're huge i mean they're gigantic boards they're like four by eight boards out there um i didn't know what the no trespassing stood for at first and then cody you explained it to me yeah he's going to prosecute you know people that trespass we're not giving a pass anymore so trespassing obviously is when you you go onto somebody else's property doesn't belong to you without permission and what's going on with this immigration problem is we've got tens of thousands of trespassers every month that are coming onto property. And a lot of times it's private property. It's these farmers' private property that they're coming onto. And even if it's not private property by an individual, it's not property that, that uh, a foreign individual would be authorized to come on. And so he could prosecute those as trespassing because the federal government won't step up and use its authority that has been delegated to it to stop the illegal immigration and to build a system that will allow for a more, I would say, streamlined version for immigration of those who want to contribute to our society, which I'm all for, and just open the border to everybody that wants to come across, which allows that criminal elephant to sneak in as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's exactly what he's saying with those signs, is he's going to do the job the federal government is not doing. Yeah, and he's going to find different ways that are currently available under the law, and he understands the law very well. He's a very sharp mind. I, I wondered why um, he resigned as an appellate court judge. Right. And I was, I was a little bit disappointed when he did because I really valued somebody with his perspective at that level. Because um, for those of you that maybe don't understand how laws are formed through um, the judicial process, we understand that the legislatures create these statutes and they're, they're, they're very small in comparison and very narrow um, in scope as to what is legal and what's illegal. What the court does is it applies those statutes one by one and to particular circumstances. And so once it gets up to the appellate court, the appellate court determines the definition or how a statute is to be interpreted. And that is what we call case law or common law. And it is every sense as um, enforceable and legit as legislative law. So we have to take a break here. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. 
Listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. This is Sean Garner. Uh, I am an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hansen, and I'm in studio here with Cody Beeson. We've been talking about the uh, election, the primaries are tomorrow. Yeah. If you have not voted by early ballot, Please go out and vote. We absolutely need you to vote. Everybody, at least from the networks that I listen to, they're expecting there to be this red wave, that there's going to be this Republican dominance in, in, the, in the midterms here. And that can be a very um, counterproductive thing to broadcast widely because then people get complacent. And they feel that, oh, I don't need to go out and vote because it's going to go this way anyway. No, it will only be a red wave if you don't like what's going on in the policies today. If you don't feel like uh, inflation is a good thing. If you don't feel like a gas being five plus dollars a gallon is a good thing. If you don't feel like we should be subsidizing foreign countries more than we subsidize or rather than... Uh, relieve the tax burden on the taxpayers here. I don't agree generally with subsidies, um, foreign or domestic, but if I had to choose between the two, I'd, I'd certainly want more domestic subsidies than foreign. Right. Um, but more than that, what I would prefer is just reduce the tax burden and allow us to succeed on our own merit. And, and then wealth is created. And the more that we as individuals are allowed to exercise our um, ingenuity and individual genius, the more we help the community at large and everybody rises. So, um, but we were talking about Judge Gould and, and his policies of the no trespassing. He's got that on his, his campaign ads. And uh, at first it's a bit confusing. What are they talking about? No trespassing here on this sign or on, on the lot that the, that the owner of the property allowed him to post a sign on. But Cody explained it to me that he's got a policy um, proposal that he is going to enforce the law for illegal immigrants using trespassing laws. Right. I mean, and if anything, you know, if you've talked to Andy and he is a, a Yuma guy, you know, you see him, uh, you see him in place, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a, just a down to earth person. Um, if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great thing you see, you know, he's actually going to stand behind that policy and he's, he's going to back it. And how great would that be to have an attorney general who uh, lives here in Yuma Right. You know, and has contributed so much to the Yuma community. His wife is also an attorney and uh, she practices um, corporate law. She, she uh, defends insurance companies and um, she may do some more. I mean, the only cases that I was involved in with her were um, where she was defending insurance companies and, and I was involved in, um, it, it, it was a big personal injury case where somebody uh, was killed by a tractor implement. And uh, so she was representing the insurance and saying, hey, this was more of the negligence of the driver than uh, the implement itself. And so anyway, but she was sharp. Oh, boy, was she sharp and and every bit um, his equal. And I think that's really creates a a good um, synergy when a couple can work together and understand each other. Um, 
I think he, he would be a fantastic attorney general. It would make me proud that he came from Yuma. But more than that, he's qualified. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's something that you don't always see in politics. Uh, sometimes people just throw their name in the hat. Uh, but this particular candidate, uh, Judge Gould or Justice Gould, um, he, he's been doing it for a long time. And he certainly has the experience. And like you said, he's, he's qualified, beyond qualified. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about... <laughs> This is a controversial issue, and I think it's important that we put it out there because what we like to put out on this show is some type of politics that doesn't get discussed in the mainstream media. And so if you're just listening to um, radio talk shows or you're reading the newspaper or watching the news, you might not see it. But we've heard about new pandemics and epidemics coming down the pipeline. And so... One thing that it concerns me is they seem to be prepping the population. When I say they, I mean Dr. Fauci and company, uh, the Biden administration, for a new version um, or variant, if you will, of COVID. That it's going to come out and um, that we are going to need to hunker down again and, and we're going to need to implement new restrictions or mask up again or get more boosters on vaccinations. And that concerns me quite a bit because if we have learned anything from the last bout of COVID is the remedy is certainly worse than the disease. Now, I'm not trying to downplay how bad COVID was. And I have friends and clients who have passed away from COVID and or are currently suffering from long-term effects of COVID. But there is no question that that disease was politicized and the treatment of that disease was even more politicized. And I think that politicians will use it as long as they can to uh, work in favor of them being reelected or them gaining more power than generally we the people would, would convey to them in, in normal circumstances. Yeah, and we're seeing it. I mean, we saw it when uh, Trump announced a vaccine and how many, you know, People on the left were anti-vax at that point. Kamala Harris said she would never take the vaccine right? as long as Trump was advocating for it. It's insane. As soon as Joe Biden was inaugurated, the vaccine was one of those things that if you, it, it, it was basically um, a virtue signaling that you got the vaccine and that anybody that didn't, didn't care about humanity in general. Yeah. Right? So that's a complete flip. And that that should not be the case. If a vaccine works, let's advocate for it. If it doesn't, let's not. And if we don't know about it, then the Hippocratic Oath, right? You do first do no harm. And you don't know if you're doing harm if you don't understand what the, the long-term effects of this medicine are. And so that we're finding out that we were promised that the vaccine was like 90 plus percent effective against getting COVID, contracting the virus. And we know for a fact that's not the case. We, I mean, we've got Fauci and the president both getting COVID within a month or two of each other. And if those two can get it, as much as they've pushed forth their agenda of getting vaccinated and quarantining and masking up and everything else, and, and you know they've got this crowd of doctors around them, if they get it, then that means this is something that we're exposed to as a general population. We're going to have to learn to live with it. 
and and we can't take their word for it that if you get what they're giving you, you're not going to get it. Now, I understand people are fallible and they can make mistakes and they thought the vaccine may have been that effective, but they never come back and say, we were wrong. We misunderstood. Now we have more information. They say, no, this is now the new truth and the old truth either you misunderstood us and we're going to bury it and all of the major search engines are going to help us, but they're never going to go back and say, you know what? Probably we should have let individuals decide for themselves because we aren't any smarter than the rest of you. Yeah. Yeah. It was never said we didn't know enough back then. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe the founding fathers did have it right that just becoming elected to political office doesn't make us superior in intelligence. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't let the uh, drug companies have uh, exemptions from liability. (laughs) Yeah, it keeps going and going and going. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM, KBLU. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.